Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Pros in the know start with Lowe's. Because at Lowe's, pros save big on the supplies they use most. Right now, save even more on select concrete mix. Now 30% off when you buy in bulk. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. Stop by or visit Lowe'sforpros.com for details. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. Minimum purchase required. Selection varies by location. Credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply. U.S. only. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Bird Gang Blitz, a pre-week two of the preseason Bird Gang Blitz. Um, you want to be your co-host, Blake Murphy. You can follow me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Johnny Johnny's Football. If you want to follow him on Twitter. John, how are you doing post the first public exposure we've had to Josh Rosen in a game? You know, I'm doing well, Blake. Thank you for all of you joining us tonight. Uh, apologies for last week. We had some technical difficulties, but we are back this week. A lot of content to talk about. And yeah, how about that first preseason, Blake? Oh, gosh. No, uh, part of it was the excitement that you had when the Cardinals came out and you got to see not just the defense come out, shut, you know, the opponent offense down. It was Cardell Jones-led offense, a little bit of a disclaimer there. But then to have the punt returned by Christian Kirk, which should have been housed, and then the offense to just go out there, open up some gaping holes for David Johnson, drive down the field, and end it with a touchdown. Uh, kind of maybe you could say that you wouldn't go for it on fourth down in that specific position. But, you know, it's preseason. Give the guys a chance. Uh, the first team offense was – pretty much sensational it went in all three phases of the game kind of exactly what you were looking for if you wanted to have a first kind of performance the biggest things if you wanted to say as far as for negatives was you didn't get to see much of Sam Bradford only you know two passes completed one was negated by a penalty the other one was a basically six yard pass to Ricky Seals Jones and getting into the second team there was quite a lot to be desired at least uh, before the team kind of came up with their last touchdown drive and that final goal line stand, at least in preseason with the four stringers. So, uh, John, let's talk a little bit about the uh, first-team offense, specifically focusing on Mason Cole, because as we all know, A.Q. Shipley goes down in practice at the red-white practice. He ends up having a torn ACL, is out for the year. Mason Cole steps up, team decides not to look for help at a veteran center. John, how do you think Mason Cole did in his first play? Because I thought overall he did pretty well in his first exposure. Yeah, especially, and we'll get to this, considering how poorly the second team did and the fact that a lot of that was because of the the low snaps you look at what Mason Cole did nothing to the to the fact that you know you didn't really notice him and that's kind of the goals the centers you don't want to be exposed in that regard and I think that you know having the two veteran guards next to him um and Justin Pugh and Mike Ayupati and then they playing so well is just going to be a godsend to Mason Cole Mason Cole to me has all year to learn the position, learn the playbook, develop a rapport, hopefully at some point with Josh Rosen. But, it, you know, the first-team offensive line, I think, was probably the highlight of the game for me, how well, number one, they pass protected. And then, number two, you saw the philosophy of Mike McCoy's offense, especially with, you know, these two quarterbacks coming to play. A little bit of play action, Sam, uh, Sam Bradford in his one completion 
checked it down, and that's kind of been the MO. If, you, if you're not familiar with Sam Bradford and how he does things, he broke the completion record, I believe it was last year or two years ago, yeah, mainly, two years ago yeah. mainly due to check downs. His average per, per completion is not overly high in his career. He will take what the defense gives him. He's kind of a poor man's Alex Smith in that way. Um, so he had the, the check down to Ricky Seals-Jones, but the run game was just so impressive. And Mason Cole was a big part of that. You know, he, again, he didn't embarrass himself. He got to the second level. Uh, I think his toughness is, is a little bit underrated. I think that he's everything that we hoped Evan Bain would be a couple years ago coming in and, and having the opportunity to win a starting job just hasn't happened for Evan. But Mason Cole, on the other hand, 6'4", you know, 305, next to Justin Pugh and Mike Ayupati. That's a, that's a very impressive physically looking into your offensive line. May not be, the obviously, the best or the most talented, but imposing for these defensive lines, these quality defensive lines that the Cardinals are going to see in the NFC West. Like, you know, San Francisco's loaded up with Buckman and Sa- Buckner and Solomon Thomas. Obviously, we know what's going on in L.A. with Sue and Darnold. So I was, I was cautiously optimistic, especially considering that. That was, for the most part, the Chargers' first-team defense that the Cardinals were able to essentially run roughshod on. David Johnson had two carries for 28 yards, looked better than we've ever seen him before. Just watching him run, it looked like he was literally shot out of a cannon. He was so fast and so physical. They weren't plotting runs. I mean, it looked like he had an opportunity on both of his runs to break it and take it to the house. I think he's assuming that, you know, Ayupati is close to what he's been to in the past. And if you haven't heard, he had the highest uh, grade of any individual player the Cardinals had uh, in this game via pro football focus. I, I think it was hovering and now ni- around 93, which is elite territory. I know it was only one drive and you don't want to read in too much into that, but you heard comments from Steve Wilkes. Uh, I believe it was last week or the week before saying he looks like the old Mikey potty. That is so huge for this team that wants to run the football that pounded the football so well in the opening drive. I'm sure we'll talk about Chase Edmonds and his second effort for touchdown. That was impressive. But the first team offensive line, I think, was probably my uh, biggest takeaway. Part of it, and we'll get to this, because of how poorly the second team offensive line looked. That group, super critical, Blake. Oh, yeah, no. What was most impressive about the first drive for the Cardinals was that they imposed their will totally on the Chargers' first-team defense. When you're looking and talking about Mike Upati, the reason why his grade was so high is if you look at where the starting offensive line is, with you know, everyone knows where the line of scrimmage is, Upati's already down that, getting into the second level, just pushing guys back. What was most impressive, I think, was when you're looking at David Johnson's two runs that he had, the first run, at least, was basically right up the middle. That was a double block by um, Justin Pugh on the right-hand side. That's kind of your big money free uh, guard that you signed in free agency. And uh, Mason Cole was the other guy who was opening the hole. So this isn't like David Johnson breaking it outside or kind of going with a run around it in space. This is him having gaping holes right up the middle to just run right through their defense. And you're right, he probably would have scored if it wasn't for uh, kind of a shoestring tackle by the safety getting to the second level on that first play alone. So I think it's very exciting if you're a Cardinals fan because you're talking about with how the run game was looking back at 2015 even with Bruce Arians a lot of that run game was based off of volume and still based kind of off of Chris Johnson being able to kind of have a a second huge effort Uh, with the offensive design with Mike McCoy is designed to basically be upfront physical while still being able to use that quick passing game to the tight ends we got to see all of that on that first drive Um, the quick passing game to Larry Fitzgerald the short passes to 
uh, short passing game to Ricky Seals-Jones, who I think is, after watching more of how they're going to use him, he's probably going to be in for a huge season. It would not surprise me if he ends up being your number three receiver overall by the year's end. But I think that what is most interesting with the Cardinals offense you're talking about is if Sam Bradford is a checkdown guy, and part of the reason he set that completion percentage in Minnesota was they had a notably bad offensive line in Minnesota that year. As long as you can get into these third and five, third and six, or even even third and three situations, you're not going to really have to care that much about a guy who can push the ball down the field because that run game is going to be pushing um, you close enough to that line where he's not going to have to go deep. You'll be able to just make use of that quick reaction, being able to make use of that release, as well as his processing and pre-snap reads. Uh, so, yeah, so that was the biggest area overall with Mason Cole. It was kind of an impressive debut overall. I think there's still going to be issues you'll have as far as for with the calls, the rest of the area, but he looked very much like a natural on that line. Um, what did not look natural at all was the, um, well, I was going to say, before we move on to that second team offensive line, let's talk a little bit about Chase Edmonds because whether his knee was down or not, this is a guy who came out of forward and we talked about how he's going to have a major impact in the offense. And even just from looking at as for – where he's lined up in camp, like he probably should be, or at least in any year you wouldn't have drafted Josh Rosen, he would be the talk of camp right now in training camp. Um, from where I saw, he lined up anywhere from outside to the point where David Johnson on some plays lined up as a fullback, where sometimes it was a pass play to Johnson. Other times it was just a straight handoff to Chase Edmonds, getting the defense to kind of have to get someone to cover David Johnson. But this is a guy who's performed so well enough that, and even that touchdown was showing just the effort, the work ethic that went into it, and the shiftiness that he has inside. I think that he's in for a tremendous career in the NFL. I think this has been a, so far a great pick by the Cardinals. He's a little bit smaller as far as for the size, not that big back to maybe be your lead back like David Johnson. But, John, let's talk a little bit about Chase Edmonds. What did you think from his debut and the fact that Arizona basically treated him like one of the ones and pulled him out when they pulled out the rest of that starting offensive unit. Yeah, he's clearly uh, established himself as the number two back, and that's happened fairly quickly. If you if you were to tell me coming into this season who it was going to be, I, you know, I wouldn't have any one individual coming to mind, but I, I don't think it would have been him right away. I think you use a fourth-round pick on a back, and eventually you want uh, him to contribute. But for him to just, like you mentioned, Blake, be one of the stars of training camp with his physicality, his toughness, his lateral quickness, I think everybody knows about his agility. And then to come in and see him get five carries on the opening drive with the starting offense and eventually score that touchdown, I think it's saying something. I think you're going to see a lot of dual backs with him and David. I think you're going to see him, like you said, split out wide. Uh, he's got an opportunity to have a niche role in this offense. Uh, and, you know, you've heard the comparisons to the Deion Lewis's of the world, maybe a poor man's Brian Westbrook. Um, I'm anxious to see what he can do, especially in the passing game, um, because, you know, that's that's a skill set now. When you're coming into the NFL as a young rookie, you have to be able to catch the football. And there are going to be series, there's going to be plays where David's going to need spelled. Uh, especially, you know, as we get further along into the season, especially when you consider the Cardinals have to go to the likes of Green Bay late in the year. They want to have their run game clicking on all cylinders. And I just, I think he's like the perfect complement to David because, again, you mentioned it, Blake, smaller can hide behind the bigger offensive linemen. Again, I go back to his hips and his ability to make lateral cuts, I think is very strong. Uh, not a poor man's David up until this point, but I, again, I could see him total yards this year, something to the effect of three or 400 yards rushing, you know, maybe two or 300 yards receiving. I think it's going to have that big of an impact because of the fact that Mike McCoy is so determined to run the football because when you consider your two tackles 
could be a problem point for this team in terms of pass protection. You've got one, maybe two on mobile quarterbacks, one especially that has a history of chronic knee concerns. You know, I, I don't think it would surprise anybody to see, you know, between David and Chase on, an, on, a, on a given week to have 50 total touches combined. Uh, I don't know what you think of that number, Blake, but you figure David's going to get between 20 and 30. And then Chase could get between 15 and 20, depending on, you know, in the run game. I mean, he had five carries in the opening drive, and that's not including any, um, you know, any uh, his ability to showcase what he can do in the passing game. So, uh, and the fact that this team likes to check it down. So, uh, I think it's encouraging for the Cardinals, especially when you consider last year. David went down. The Cardinals traded a six-round pick for Adrian Peterson. He wasn't ultimately the answer. They won an answer if and when David either has to be spelled or for whatever reason, fingers crossed that this doesn't happen, but is banged up, maybe misses a couple games because that's, that generally that's life in the NFL. Now Le'Veon Bell misses games. Um, you know, the, the, the premier players in this league at the running back position do not stay great for long because of the beating that they, that they take. It's part of the reason that David is pushing for this contract extension. But, you know, I would agree at, you know, I think he's going to have a, a, a pretty major role, and it's pretty unprecedented considering you know where he was drafted, the school he was drafted out of, and the fact that you know it's already so early into the season, into training camp, and um, you know he's, his name is being thrown around like it has been. I definitely, I think that's where with Chase Edmonds, and I think some of it will just depend on how much they're going to give to David Johnson. I think that Chase Edmonds ends up perhaps even maybe getting a larger role just because of the the lack of knowledge of what you have at wide receiver, especially outside of Larry Fitzgerald, as well as the fact that teams are going to key in on David Johnson. They see him on the field, they're going to key in on him, which means that you'll be able to then use Chase Edmonds as a mismatch. Just to kind of get back into just how special kind of at least of an athlete Edmonds is, we want to take a look at this, you know, sites that we can use as far as for with analytics and looking into some of that, especially player comparisons. One that I like to look at is mock draftable. And some of the comparisons I take a look at, as I say, when you look at the combine scores and compare percentiles into a player falls into like the 80th percentile, the 90th percentile. Sometimes you get a guy like Baker Mayfield, who's compared to Russell Wilson. You look at the athleticism and like, well, Mayfield's a little maybe closer to Colt McCoy. Russell Wilson was like in a totally different league as far as his ability to, you know, run around and escape as far as for his athletic potential. And here are just some of the guys that Chase Edmonds kind of compares to, at least for this one. You're looking at guys like Sony Michelle, Ronald Jones, Mark Walton. You even have a guy like Darius Geis as far as for being able to match up with the percentile. And uh, I think another one that would really stood out to me is Duke Johnson, if you'll talk about the, um, the running back in uh, the Browns right now as far as for viewed as a pass catching back. All of those guys are really high-powered pass catching backs. And uh, one thing that's interesting where you're like, you know, if there was a lot of questions I know coming out about his draft stock, whether – um, he was going to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. So at his pro day, he went and ran every single route that he ran. He ran as a wide receiver. He didn't take any snaps at running back. He just ran all of the routes at wide receiver to prove that, nope, here's it is. I am a multifaceted weapon. I, I'm, I'm a running back slash wide receiver. I can do it all what you need to be. And that's part of why he's meshed so quickly with the first team offense, because you can really then get into a setup with two running backs back there be able to kind of hand off the ball, have uh, maybe even David Johnson at a fullback. Very next play, you split them both out wide. You've got Larry Fitzgerald inside and then Ricky Seals-Jones on the other. That's just going to be a matchup nightmares for defenses to have to figure out who are they going to be able to cover. You're going to have to put a cornerback on one of these guys who's running out there because then they'll be able to run them over, at least like David Johnson showed in the uh, in the 
playoff game against the Packers. So I think it's very exciting, at least for the young men. This is a fourth-round pick. The Cardinals are very high on him. They had a third-round grade. Uh, let's go and talk about the other uh, rookies that were there. Uh, we had Chris Campbell made a play, at least in later in the game. He had a touchdown pass where he was beaten on. He actually had pretty good coverage overall when you take a look at it. Just some of those plays you can't let go. He's probably not going to be a starter this season. Maybe down the road you could take a look at if he can make the jump into the lineup. Let's talk a little bit about Christian Kirk because this is the guy who uh, he comes in. He's kind of getting some of the snaps with the ones, takes over at the second wide receiver position, gets the first pass from Josh Rosen, misses another one down the field. Johnny, Christian Kirk may end up being the guy who has to step up from the Cardinals and with Bryce Butler kind of reportedly being out for the second preseason game. Um, do you think that he's kind of solidifying himself at wide receiver too, or do you think that he's been more just kind of one of the guys right now that, and there hasn't really been as much separation? Because that's kind of how more I'm feeling, at least from looking more at this group. Yeah, I don't know, Blake. I think the um, inability for any of these veteran receivers to step up and take hold of that number two spot kind of puts Christian Kirk in that position by by default. We all know, we all hope that that's going to be his position opposite Larry Fitzgerald, you know, Larry uh, in the slot, and then, and then Christian at the X or the Y on the outside. Uh, but we all thought, okay, we're going to ease him in. Clearly he's not ready to take hold of that role right away. He's going to be incorporated in some, you know, three or four receiver sets, multiple packages down the line. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned it, Bryce Butler being essentially a non-factor due to injury. We haven't seen a lot from J.J. Nelson. Chad Williams has been a non-factor. So, I mean, Christian Kirk is, is a top 50 pick this year. He's going to play, and I think sooner rather than later. Uh, you saw the explosiveness on the punt return. You can't teach that. I think that uh, we'll, we'll talk about Rosen, but uh, Christian Kirk had an opportunity to make a play down the field, wasn't able to haul that in, but I still think – you know, he had decent separation on that play. And so I'll be anxious to see moving forward. Will he get more opportunities coming into this year, coming into the opener against Washington to show that he has the ability to, to, to play opposite Larry Fitzgerald? I think he's going to get opportunities. Now, he may not be listed as a quote-unquote starter, which is completely overrated on the team's depth chart. It, total snaps is what you have to look at. And I think for somebody like Christian Kirk moving forward, it's important for him to stay consistent in his route running, coming in and out of his breaks, because, you know, we all know the ability is there. He may not have, you know, J.J. Nelson's speed. Very few guys do, but he has polished it at, you know, it's several other things that I think are overlooked. I think his acceleration is underrated. I think his hands can sometimes be underrated. Clearly, he's physical, returns kicks, yards after a catch, I think will be a plus for him. Uh, but, man, his ability to change games as a return man, something the Cardinals have not had since maybe Lerod Stevens-Howling, who was a former seventh-round pick, kind of a flash-in-the-pan guy. Christian Kirk, to me, again, reminds me of Golden Tate. Detroit Lions had a you know a decent career. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Had a decent career with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, for whatever reason, they inexplicably let him go. He has broken out with the Detroit Lions. Is consistently a nine hundred to eleven, a nine hundred to eleven hundred type of receiver. I think the Cardinals would be thrilled if they got that kind of production from Christian Kirk. I'm going to stick with that comparison. Fingers crossed. Perfect compliment to Larry Fitzgerald. Do you think this group? maybe needs another body receiver next year. Absolutely. But again, we've talked about this over and over. You're not going to be able to fill all the holes in, in a single off season. So when I hear people say, bring in Des Bryant, go get somebody like him, a veteran receiver. Number one, I, I don't want Des Bryant anywhere near Josh Rosen. <laughs> and, and number two, that's kind of going to stunt the growth 
of some of these younger receivers, and we need to give up. We need to see what Chad Williams can do. He has been a non-factor for the better part of what sixteen months now. At some point, you just have to sick the guy out there and see if he can play. I think this is a make-or-break season for JJ Nelson. I know he's a free agent at the end of the year. Bryce Butler is, you know. When will he get healthy? When can we see some of that explosiveness that we saw in, in, in you know, moments in Dallas? Um, so it's, it'll be interesting, but I do think at some point Christian Kirk is going to find himself as a starter. And again, I, I touch on this every week, and it's just it makes me you know, happy to see you've got your first four picks on the offensive side where this team has struggled as of late. All are going to be playing prominent roles. We clearly think Josh Rosen is going to be a starter sooner rather than later. Uh, and then Christian Kirk, we just touched on him. Mason Cole, we've touched on him. And then, of course, Chase Edmonds. They're all going to have big roles this year and hopefully staples for this offense moving forward, Blake. Oh, yeah, well, that's what's crazy. When you look at that game of the people who are kind of like some of the impact players, the guys the team was depending on, even if you look at Chris Campbell with what kind of – he just fits that Steve Wilkes mold of having long arms, being a great cover corner, having good instincts. There was the play last night where he did get beat for the touchdown, but when you take a look at it for that one, there's a quick release off the line. He caught up. He basically played the ball well, was looking for the ball, knowing where it was. Receiver makes a great athletic catch, even though he goes to kind of – push through to try to knock the ball away. Great catch in the touchdown for the receiver. It was interesting because it was the exact type of play that you would basically say that Brandon Williams would have either been nowhere near that guy with blowing the coverage and he wouldn't have been looking back for the ball would not have known how to play on that. And it's just going to be kind of interesting to see with Brandon Williams because this is a guy who, you know, it's his third year in the league, all the physical talent in the world, and just does not seem to be developing there. He's had some good plays he can make in the run game where he's been solid and he's been playing on special teams, but Honestly, you have to kind of wonder at least if it's Chris Campbell or if it's going to be a Brandon Williams. Right now, Chris Campbell seems to be ahead of him, uh, both kind of in his play on the field and even on the depth chart. Uh, but what's crazy about all of that, just kind of to sum it up, is this is, may have been a very, very special draft class that Steve Kime has brought in. You're already probably looking at potentially four guys who are going to be either in starting roles or as major contributors as rookies. And it's not just a Steve Wilkes thing. That goes back to the talent that the players have. But it also is a reflection, at least, on Bruce Arians about how he just wouldn't trust or depend on some of those guys, whereas Wilkes is, you know, pushing these guys. They're getting Josh Rosen ready to start if they have to by giving him snaps with the ones. Um, so I think that's a huge, important key. But it does also say a lot about where the Cardinals are at as a team with their depth as well. So that's kind of bringing all of that just together. The Cardinals are in a really interesting spot as far as with um, their team because you're depending on a couple of players. Like you mentioned with um, looking at Chad Williams, if he's going to be able to step up, at least you need him to kind of be there this year. Let's talk about another guy who really we've been looking at stepping up, and that's going to be Robert Kimdichi. John, what were your thoughts on Kimdichi? Because when I took a look at him uh, last, uh, last Saturday night, he was blowing up plays, and he was going back and forth, being able to get pressure on the quarterback. and looked very disruptive out there. Still hasn't gotten that elusive sack yet, but it's pretty positive. Is this going to be still more of what we're talking about preseason where we have to wait for the season, or is this just going to be a spot where maybe this is kind of his breakout season that we've all been waiting for out of Robert Kimdichi? Yeah, I don't know what you would classify as breakout at this point. I think a lot of us would be thrilled with completing a 16-game season. As a starter. Yeah, (laughs) starting every game and providing solid impact that maybe warrants the team to pick up your fifth-year option. I think think it's premature, way premature to say Robert Kandichi is going to break out. He's going to go to a Pro Bowl. He's going to have eight to ten sacks. He's going to be disruptive, so on and so forth. I do think if he can stay healthy – this specific defensive scheme with a defensive head coach 
serves him better. He essentially got a clean slate. He was on Bruce Arians in Bruce Arians' doghouse for the longest time for his own good, uh, had to grow up, still is probably growing up. We'll see how much that pays dividends this year. But converting to that three technique, that defensive tackle uh, in a 4-3, I think with Corey Peters, who, by the way, looked great in the uh, opener of the preseason game. Oh, yeah, he's so underrated. We, you yeah. see that each year and in the year out. Both of those two individuals have the ability, very few defensive tackles in the league do, to rush the passer. A lot of D tackles are great run stuffers. They can move offensive linemen and clear the way for the linebackers and the safeties. But those two individuals and Roberts kind of MO coming out was he is somebody who you could, you could think would get maybe eight to 10 sacks in a single season. He would, he is that talented. He has the ability, I think to lead the team at, at some point in tackles, uh, tackles for loss. Uh, he's got that kind of ability. I, I really think that highly of his physical skill set. The problem is above the shoulders and then also the technique. Yep, his technique, getting sloppy, getting undisciplined, and then also he's had injuries. I mean, basically the last two years, he's had great starts to camp, especially last year you heard that he was going to break out, so on and so forth. What ended up happening, another injury, and then kind of falls out of his routine and gets left behind. Um, and so – what you got to hope is he stays healthy. He's already stayed healthier than he had for the better part of last year. And so he's got the enthusiasm back. He's got the encouragement from his head coach. Uh, I think, yeah, and he looked, I thought, pretty good in the opener. I mean, if he can just make a couple flash plays a game where you see him make, you know, a few tackles, he's not going to fill up the stat sheet with tackles. That's not his position. But again, You'll be able that's, – that's, that's an individual you'll want to go and check pro football focus after every game to see how they graded him because they, they watch and grade each player individually. And that's where it really kind of shines with your interior offensive lineman and your interior defensive lineman because, again, on the stat sheet for the preseason game, and he played a decent amount, he had one QB hurry and, and no tackles, I believe, or one tackle. But I think he, he played much better than that indicated. So it, it's really, the, they say, the eyeball test. I think Robert has passed that so far. You've seen the highlights in, in the training camp, the, all the, you know, the cell phone footage of him blowing up offensive linemen. Oh, yeah. Blowing up your potty, blowing up, you know, Justin Pugh. Uh, Evan Bame just basically can't go up against him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is great. I mean, oh, yeah. because we mm-hmm. think that, that Pugh and, and you potty looked great, you know, uh, Saturday night. So you think about, okay, if he's putting on that kind of clinic and practice, just be a solid contributor. Because right now, the thing that this team is missing specifically on defense is an impact interior defensive lineman. They've got the pass rusher. We think they've got one or two linebackers that can be above average. Got the corner. They've got the safety. Where is that interior disruption going to come from? Uh, Olsen Pierre, by the way, looked great too. So I think it's a position that – Yeah, I think so too. I think it's a position, obviously, that you can never have enough quality players – like corner, uh, like off interior offensive line. But at the same time, Robert is really the key to that front seven, bringing it together. Because if he has another subpar year, you're going to look at Jonathan Cooper. You're going to look at Robert Kimdichie. Hassan Reddick needs to have a big season. Dion Buchanan's been injury prone. At some point, these defensive starters, or excuse me, these first-round draft picks for Steve Kime, have to make have to make an impact. Mm-hmm. So I'm optimistic. I was optimistic last year and the year before, but I think this year especially 
because of the defensive scheme change, because, because of the impact I think that Wilkes has had on him. Remember, Steve Wilkes has coached a number of quality defensive linemen uh, that have gone on to superstardom in Carolina. Look them up. There's, there's plenty to go around. Uh, and hopefully Robert Tindici can join that list at some point. Yeah, definitely. No, like, this is a big season for Kim Dietschy, but it's interesting because you look at Olsen Pierre practically being a starter at the end of last year under Bruce Arians, comes in with Kim Dietschy, and uh, Pierre hasn't been able to beat him out yet. So it's been – there's the motivation's been there, a lot of understanding what more it means to be a pro yeah, has that, been there. that's but a he, great point, Blake, that the fact that you come into oh, the yeah. season – Olsen Pierre had five sacks last year. Kim Dietschy is listed as a starter over him, so that's a great sign. Definitely. Yeah. And it's, a lot of it is also just the way you've talked about it and you've seen it. It's not like it's like a, you have to feel like people are hyping him up. It's more of you see it happen in camp and then they're talking about it after the fact. There's too much, too many times you'll have players that kind of say, oh, you know, hyping up a player for that. Oh, he's getting all of this. And then you have to still see it on field. Um, that's, it's part of what, why the reason why they drafted him. And uh, it, it's really interesting. You look at some of the other draft picks, like what Seattle's been having, some of the draft picks that they've had that have kind of gone downhill, some of the disappointment that's been where you, you can see a lot of great things in Solomon Thomas, but maybe not as much in a guy like an Eric Armstead just kind of hasn't lived up to the billing. If the Cardinals can get a guy who they can get that production out of their first round pick and then back that up with Hassan Reddick being able to perform, that, 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 that's going to be just a total game changer for this defense because you'll be able to then take a look at having that strong secondary and then having a firm defensive line with Chandler Jones coming back as you know, the NFL's leading sack leader and still feeling motivated because he feels like people are not giving him nearly enough respect. Um, the one area that is a little bit concerning that we even saw the some of the game with some of the check down, some of the middle of the plays was the linebacker core. Um, we had Dayon Buchanan. He's going to be fine, but he was sitting out for the game. Josh Bynes had an injury the end of the week. Um, he's still probably – Buchanan's probably not going to be back probably until at least week three they might get him back in is what we're looking at. Maybe you hold him out for the whole season. But this linebacker core, you just don't really have a lot of depth. And one of the guys who've been playing well for you got a scoop and score in the game was Jeremy Cash. And he ends up making a tackle on a play. Leg goes back funny. He ends up tearing his ACL. Um, he is out. The team signs Gerald Hodges through the contract. At least he's going to have to still go and pick up because Cash is one of those guys who was teaching the defense to the rest of the guys who are on the team. He'd played with Steve Wilkes before. Had a valuable depth guy who was going to make the 53. So it's not quite the loss you'd have from an EQ Shipley, but it's still a pretty big loss altogether. And it just goes to show the lack of depth you might have at the linebacker position. John, do you think that this is something we need to be concerned about, or is this something an area of more of having that concern if you see Bynes, Buchanan, and Reddick end up missing time during the season? Yeah, it's absolutely a, a trouble spot, especially when you consider that Bynes and Buchanan have become injury-prone and Hassad Reddick has not proven anything up until this point. I thought he had a pretty good preseason game. We saw him fly around the ball. I think hopefully, fingers crossed, he's going to have that breakout season uh, along with Robert Kimdichie. But you mentioned Jeremy Cash. I loved him coming out of Duke. He was somebody I think had like a mid-round grade for whatever reason, got labeled as like a tweener between a safety and a linebacker, didn't get drafted inexplicably, went to Carolina, was coached under Steve Wilkes, and was available this offseason. I loved the pickup. I thought it was going to be a nice, a nice move for them. They've got decent depth with uh, Scooby Wright, but he hasn't made the impact they were hoping for. Mm -hmm. Cash steps in, like you said, was teaching the defense some of the, the play calls. And um, that was super helpful, especially when with Dayon and, and Josh Bynes out. So I think that was an underrated loss. It's unfortunate. We've talked about it off air, Blake, and it's crazy to think about. Two of Steve Kimes, I believe, five first-round picks have mm -hmm. been 
inside linebackers, and they probably need at least one they more. They probably could if, add one more. <laughs> if if not, okay, so let's say Josh Bynes is expendable after this year, and you've got Dayon, who is, by the way, uh, a free agent um, in a year, and then you've got Hassan Reddick, uh, who has, hasn't shown anything. Could you need more than one? Could you go linebacker in the first or second round and go linebacker maybe day three? That's a position you can feel fairly easily with kind of plug-and-play guys, but definitely something to watch, especially if this defense starts to struggle up front. If Robert doesn't play well, if Chandler and or Marcus Golden have trouble converting to a 4-3, I don't particularly think they will, but at the same time, you know, there could be a transition period. I think there's going to be a transition period for the defense. It may not have shown at at the point where, uh, you know, they look good against San Diego for a drive or two, but, you know, they're going to go up against some decent offenses early on in this season. You know, I, I don't want fans to get frustrated if the defense doesn't look great. But at the same time, the players have to be on the field. This is a big season for Dayon Buchanan. He knows it. He wants a big money contract. The team, I think, wants to extend him. He's played well when he's been healthy for the Arizona Cardinals. But at the same time, we talk about this transition. He has not played in a 4-3 before. He was a college safety who came right in and played inside linebacker in a 3-4 for Bruce Arians and did very well, especially on that 2015 team that went to the NFC Championship game. Mm -hmm. But I will say – Getting him back, I think, is the real key. And then, obviously, the the ascension of Hassan Reddick. Definitely, no. It's going to be crazy to see. And uh, speaking, at least when we were talking about, you know, guys who are going to be free agents, you know, uh, this is the same thing, I think, with the offensive line. You know, Mike Potty, with his contract being voidable, he's an unrestricted free agent next year. At 32 years old, you're probably going to end up having to either try to look at some type of a one- or a two-year deal at most if he can stay healthy. And still not a guarantee he might get a bigger deal from a team elsewhere. You do have the money to keep guys, but looking at your DJ Humphreys is good until, you know, another two years. But if he can't stay healthy this year, you're going to look at your left tackle spot. You've also got right tackles, another area. Um, hopefully a guy like a Corey Cunningham, maybe if he can develop along to fill that spot, you're going to be able to see that. But, yeah, there's, it's kind of like a lot of with the linebackers this year is, depending on how it plays, you may go into 2019 with some major needs. You may come out of it really just feeling like you're pretty good about that. Maybe you bring in another guy to, you know, compete with or to upgrade over at your mid-linebacker um, over the uh, Josh Bynes. Um, uh, let's talk about, before we kind of move on at least, uh, just a couple other guys who were standing out at least who just seemed to kind of pop off the page. Um, for me, Benny, Ben Wickery seemed to be the biggest guy as far as for like standout. He had two turnovers that he basically caused, almost had a third, dropped what should have been a pick six. Um, he looked like he was basically ready to step up. Arizona's got a lot of depth at corner when you consider. I think Jamar Taylor was on the outside making plays. Um, you looked at Ben Wickery at least as a guy in the slot. And Buda Baker's going to be your other slot guy there as well. Um, I think that that was one of the biggest key pickups. He knows the defense well. Uh, might not be maybe one of those guys who when the regular season comes, maybe he ends up fading a bit there's a lot of times a reason why guys are out there but he's a guy who looks like at least as a cornerback four you could do a lot worse I also thought that Charles Knopf at least he looks like a guy who people are talking about him being kept on the roster over Mike Glennon I don't think he'd go that far yet but Glennon has looked really bad in these different games at least overall Knopf looked like he was really really strong um, let's talk a little about those two players because that's something that we have to figure out with Mike Glennon is what is going to be Glennon's role on this team is it something where Cardinals fans I've seen plenty of people saying that he should be cut if he doesn't play as well in week two do you think that that's the case for that one or is it more of Knopf is going to be kind of that practice squad developmental guy and that Mike Glennon maybe he's that long-term backup that you're looking for maybe he's not John what are your thoughts at least about with Glennon after we've seen because it was kind of a pitiful display but some of that was to be expected with this offensive line from what we've seen 
Yeah, I like first of all, I don't think highly of Mike Glennon in the least, so I'm not saying this to defend him in any way, shape, or form. But, I mean, did you see the offensive line play after the first team went out? The Cardinals have literally no depth in their second and third team offensive line. Now, Mike Glennon was terrible, and he's been mediocre, if not terrible, for the majority of his career. But at the same time, they brought him in. They thought enough of him to give him a two-year contract. I don't know why that was entirely necessary, but I think that they thought that maybe next year, say let's, let's say they didn't get Josh Rosen in the first round. They had taken a, maybe a developmental player in the second or third round, get a, get a franchise quarterback next year, have Mike Lennon as your, maybe your starter or you're playing the role of Sam Bradford. I don't know. I don't think it's you know inconceivable to think that he could be cut but I think we've got three more preseason games. He's going to play a lot, especially in that fourth game. I don't think he's going to be – he can't be as bad as he was, um, you know, last week. But, again, he was terrible for the Bears last year. Maybe this is just who he is. I wouldn't hesitate to say, you know, if he's terrible the rest of the preseason, Steve Kime, I could absolutely see cutting him. And it's not to say that – I mean, there could be a quarterback that they have their eye on to be Josh Rosen's backup next year because mm-hmm. Sam Bradford's not coming back next year and he could be available later on. Uh, they traded for a Sam um, Bar- or ba- Barkley. What's his first name? Oh, Matt Barkley. The Matt, other Matt, US, the other USC yeah, quarterback. There's too many, too many names. They traded for Matt Barkley after the fourth preseason game. He'd never played a snap for him and instantly became their fourth quarter or third quarterback behind uh, Carson Palmer and Drew Stanton. They had a quarterback battle between a couple of younger guys and we thought, who are they going to keep? Who are they going to keep? And then they didn't keep either one, and they traded for Matt Barkley because they thought they liked Matt Barkley as a developmental guy. They could do the same thing to a lesser extent. They could pick up a free agent quarterback that they like. Um, it's the third quarterback job. It doesn't mean a lot, but at the same time, we've seen that position play for the Cardinals the last couple of years because of the inconsistencies. Uh, you know, we saw uh, several quarterbacks play last year. Hopefully that's not the case this year. Hopefully one or two play. Uh, Rosen's going to play eventually. Hopefully he keeps the job for the better part of 10 plus years. Uh, but this kid out of Princeton, he looked pretty good. He's got good size, 6'4", 220. I'd be lying if I told you I watched him play any, uh, in college, but he's only 23 years old. There's always something intriguing about trying to develop a younger guy behind your starter and getting word out throughout the rest of the league that, hey, we've got this young guy. He's playing pretty well. He plays pretty well in the preseason. Let's flip him for a draft pick. The, the Philadelphia Eagles are the kings of, of doing that and have suckered in many of teams, including the oh, Arizona yeah. Cardinals, into, into giving them premium draft picks. We've seen it with, you know, the Nick Foles of the world, not counting his Super Bowl run, Kevin Cobb. There's, there's too, too many to name, quite frankly, uh, that Andy Reid has essentially fooled teams into believing they were better than they actually are. That's kind of the dream, to be able to have a franchise quarterback like Josh Rosen and say, hey, we've got this younger guy. We think he's really good. Uh, we know you have you know you're desperate for for a quarterback. Give us you know a third or a fourth. You can have him, that kind of thing. Um, but you know I th- I think that Mike Glennon is is on a game to game basis. Nothing's promised to anybody, but I think it's it's too early to write him off, even with how poor he is. And again, you mentioned that the offensive line to me is is the second and third team offensive line. It's tough to really gauge anything at this point. And I wonder really how they're going to be able to to assess everything. Outside of improving that unit in the next couple of weeks, which is going to be tough, how are you going to assess your second and third team players on offense with how bad that, that group is, how much of a liability? I don't know. 
Yeah, for sure. That's going to be something that'll be really interesting to follow is what adjustments are going to be made. We already know that Rosen's going to be getting snapped with the ones with uh, the Saints this week, at least as part of that adjustment. Uh, getting back just with Charles Kanoff, uh, Chad Kanoff, it's actually, I just Googled him a second ago, and uh, he's so kind of unknown as far as for like a player that there's a picture of Bill Belichick instead of him there. I, I don't know why, but that just kind of shows like when you get to a lot of these like undrafted guys as far as for that. And what's really sad about that is, is that he's probably like the most prolific passer in Ivy league history he set basically every record at the passing position at princeton when he was there most guys who go to princeton or ivy leagues don't make the uh the nfl i know there's a little bit of a hype for a guy jeff matthews i believe out of um one of the other schools i believe i can't remember which one it was and then john skelton even was a guy that came out of fordham the same type of school i believe also that um I was at the same school that Chase Edmonds even came from. But it's interesting because this is a guy that the team likes so much. They were looking at taking him with their seventh-round pick. But their offensive line coach, Ray Brown, really pushed for them to draft Corey Cunningham, believing that he could be a starter in the league. And with the athletic profile that he had and how he's already looked in camp, at least it's been – he's still been kind of running with the threes. But if he's one of those developmental guys who kind of bring that second guy around. Maybe Knopf does have a – is a guy who you look at him. I believe the practice squad now has the ability where you can save a player. I believe it's just one where they don't have to be cut or have to go through the waivers process to be picked up by other teams because if Kanoff keeps going and playing like he's been doing in practice and like he did in the last game you know and other teams will probably have noticed and have interest if just for that developmental purpose uh, the last two guys I think that kind of were interesting to me as far as looking at the game well yet Gabe Holmes as a pass catcher I think he's going to get a lot of snaps with the ones uh, until uh, Jermaine Gresham comes in. Uh, but Cap Cappy was a guy who, you know, he kind of came in last year, was a lot of impressive, made a lot of fans, didn't really perform at all during the regular season. Um, he just never has been a guy who's been able to kind of be consistent enough in the run game, but he goes off for three sacks. And then A.J. Howard, a guy I think I've actually even talked to, I know you and I have talked about is between him and Ezekiel Turner of having the possibility of either making the 53 or at least landing on the practice squad as a safety. Those were kind of the last two guys that I, I at least saw was interesting. Uh, John, do you have any thoughts at least about some of those guys? Is, is this going to be kind of the year that Cap Cappy makes the roster, especially considering that the Cardinals do not have another guy who seems to be stepping up as a pass rusher across from Chandler Jones with Marcus Golden out and without an apparent timetable? Yeah, you, I thought he was going to make the team last year and for whatever reason it, it didn't work out. Um, but yeah, what a performance he put on uh, last Saturday night. Three sacks, looked disruptive, looked like you know, he is in better shape than in years prior. He, he clearly has the size. I think he's around 6'3", 250 pounds. Went to Akron, uh, 26 years old, and somebody who I think could be a rotational player for this team. I mean, why not? There are so few pass rushers in the NFL uh, that, you know, can make an impact. And when you find somebody who's got a clear knack for getting after the quarterback, and he clearly does, you want to try to hang on to him. And like you mentioned, Marcus Golden's injury throws a whole wrench into the situation. I think it was premature for people to assume he'd be ready for the start of the season. I mean, he tore his ACL last year uh, a couple games into the season. That's a minimum nine-month recovery time. And for somebody who uses his explosiveness off the edge, he's, they're going to want to bring him back at 100% just to be fair to Marcus especially when he's looking for his, his uh, second contract of his career. So, yeah, they need somebody opposite Chandler Jones. The good news is Chandler Jones, to me, looks as good as ever. I think he's going to have a great follow-up year to take his best season last year. But at the same time, you know, having, having Cap Cappy in the fold, three sacks, let's see what he does because, again, the preseason leads some to, you know, believe that individuals are better than they actually are. But, you know – 
if nobody else shows anything and he continues to have success like this, you can't leave him off the roster, especially with the lack of depth of the position, because I think he absolutely will get gobbled up by, by some team. He's not going to a practice squad. I know it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting, especially if he keeps going off. Sometimes you have to kind of earn your way onto a roster spot, and he's a guy I'm really glad that they did bring back overall. All right, well, we kind of recapped most of the week one of the preseason game for that one. One big area we haven't talked about. Uh, you've waited for it long enough for that. We'll be talking about the Rosen one, Josh Rosen. How did he look? What's he going to do week two with the ones? That's up next here on the Bird Gang Blitz. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Welcome back to the Bird Gang Blitz. All right, Johnny, uh, waited kind of long enough to talk about this. Let's go over Josh Rosen because from a stats perspective, there's national people looking in just like looking at the Baker Mayfield in their first game, the Sam Darnold in their first game, Josh Allen threw for a touchdown. Uh, and most people looking saw Josh, Al uh, Josh Rosen going and either just kind of checked out or looked at just how he had played and performed. And a lot of people just even – wrote it off but it's really hard to write off all of that was uh you know and this is pretty noticeable from all across the board when you're having to field snaps off the ground um the promotion the kind of injury from aq shipley that we saw really kind of had a almost a domino effect by moving mason cole up to the starting offensive line taking him away from josh rosen and having to put in kind of a more of a guard than a center there in daniel munger still no sign of evan bain being able to be moved back to center which is kind of a really sore spot on that pick um, you had a lack of poor protection. You had at least three dropped passes. And it was just a complete almost all meltdown, at least, of almost all the other players on that offensive line for the most part. So, John, what can we take away from Josh Rosen's first preview performance, if anything? Yeah, it was really unfortunate, the lack of pass protection, because it really spoiled his debut, especially on a national perspective. I think people are, are jumping to conclusions. They see the box score, you know, six for 13 for 41 yards. Again, not watching the game, you know, using the eye test in that regard. I thought he showed, you know, above average mobility for the position. I think the knock on him coming out was you compared him to the likes of Sam Darnold or Lamar Jackson or even Josh Allen. He doesn't have their kind of mobility, but when the offensive line is breaking down, I think he can make plays with his feet. You saw that. He went through his progressions, especially on that long completion, uh, moved out of the pocket and, and threw on the run. And I thought it looked very, very mobile. He's bigger than I think a lot of people think. So he's going to be tough to bring down. But again, you are putting him at such a disadvantage if you're not going to consistently play him with the first-team offensive line. He's got somebody who has, let's face it, a little bit of an injury history, multiple concussions last year. I think that was an eye-opener for the organization, for, for the front office, for Steve Wilkes. Like, we need to protect our future here. We can't throw him out here. with, And that was against San Diego's first-team defense that they trotted out that you know, poor uh, excuse for an offensive line. You, you just can't do that. It was great to hear Steve Wilkes say this week that he's going to be performing with the first-team offensive line this week, and I would expect moving forward. You, you just can't afford it um, because the Cardinals really just don't have the depth at that position. They took an offensive lineman fairly high this year. He's already with the first team. The rest of that unit is made up of undrafted guys and late-day three picks. 
Cardinals need at least one or two more off seasons to refine that position group, to build quality depth. And it's just not there right now. It's not there at the receiver position. We've talked about it. It's not there at tight end, clearly not there on the offensive line. So I was frustrated watching that because I knew that you give him time, he will go through his possessions and he will progression, excuse me, and he will beat you from the pocket and find the open man. I thought his long incompletion of Christian Kirk, I thought that ball should have been caught. I thought there were multiple plays in which he made, um, you know, accurate throws that just weren't hauled in by the receiver. I thought the first throw he had the completion where he was getting knocked down by Melvin Ingram. That's an NFL yeah, throw. That was, was a free rush by Melvin Ingram. Someone completely yep. blew a protection for that one. Rose recognized it and threw and hit the guy for that one. It's like, wow, that's a, if that's going to be the metaphor for the rest of your, you know, experience, it's going to be a tough one. <laughs> that's right. And so I, you know, it's, it, it was, I think it was frustrating for everybody because everybody was just so excited to see what he could do. And literally, I thought he played as well as you could have under those circumstances. Yes, he threw the pass that could conceivably be a pick six. He's going to throw interceptions. He's not Dak Prescott, who is kind of conservative, especially in his first year, who has great offensive line and doesn't have to force balls. He's going to be a little bit like Andrew Luck in his first year, where you're thinking about, okay, below average offensive line, unproven receivers outside of Larry Fitzgerald. Got to do a lot of things on my own. And so when that happens, you're going to make mistakes. I would rather him make mistakes, learn from it. Interceptions to me are are not a bad thing all the time, especially with young quarterbacks, as long as you're progressing and you're making the right corrections. So again, I'm excited about this week. Uh, I think that he's going to play better. He has to play better. And I think the frustration um, internally with with the second team offensive line is really the bigger story. Everything that we've heard out of camp was, Rosen looks phenomenal. Rosen's shredding the, you know, the first and second team defense. He looks great in, um, you know, each and every practice that he has. He has a game in which you're going up against a team that, you know, hasn't seen uh, a lot of what you do and can kind of have free rushers come at you left and right. And your backup offensive line is a complete liability and exposed. Okay, back back to the drawing board a little bit, and it's time to go and maybe implement some of the things that we saw from that first team offense that was that was really run heavy. At least at least until that group shows what you can do. And we talked about Mike Glennon earlier being two for seven, eleven yards and an interception. The offensive protection for him was was just terrible. You know, the kid out of Princeton who had the quality numbers for the for the Cardinals, he was playing against really guys who aren't going to be in the league in a couple of weeks going to be working at, you know, for insurance companies, that kind of thing. You know, I make a joke, I mm-hmm. speculate, but that's, that's really how it goes. Those guys who are playing in the fourth quarter of the preseason are not going to be in the NFL. And so Rosen was going up against starters for San Diego with, we've seen how poor the offensive line depth is and the receiver depth is. He literally had zero to work with. So this week is the big litmus test going against a good Saints team. I think he'll play better. Yeah, I'd agree. It's interesting seeing the kind of the post-draft narrative where it's, uh, you know, of how Rosen, a lot of people even have just kind of followed and said, no, he's the most pro-ready quarterback. He's good to go for that. A lot of cases you did see that, like when you're even talking about how the play in particular where, you know, interior pressure moved around to the side, at least for that one, extended the play and then reset his feet and found the guy. That was one of the biggest differences I noticed when I was looking at with how Mayfield, um, Baker Mayfield did look really, really great. I do think that he's like one of the guys who he's got a lot of the different things that you're looking for. And ultimately, it's not really about, you know, how your guy compares to the other guy. It's more about how, how your guy actually performs. But you have to take it when you start that comparison to a grain of salt because 
where Mayfield and Darnold and even where if you're talking about Josh Allen are a bit more special was in their ability to kind of extend plays being able to you know make a little bit of the broken play Sam Darnold's first touchdown was just that where his offensive line kind of created a hole for him to be able to run out extend the play and he threw for a touchdown a lot of that was being able to kind of use that space if you don't have that space to be able to work with and Josh Rosen really didn't he had guys either in his face was putting pressure on him he had one sack that was called back for because of a face mask and really it was kind of where once the guy grabbed onto the face mask Rosen just was like went down pointing hey hey this is you know this is a this is a clearly a penalty here the other one was there he was able to kind of step up where it looked like he was about to be hit dead to rights is going to go down stood firm in the pocket got the ball back to the line of scrimmage for one yard loss basically ended up saving if you're going to talk about for the punt on that play just saved a lot of field position there for that and the ability to have that recognition to not take sacks is probably one of the biggest pluses now moving on to some of the negatives if you want to take a look at perhaps the one of the plays that should have been a pick six with the underneath coverage he can have a couple of throws where he'll trust his arm and the strength to be able to get there and a lot of that's because he will get it there on the third down pass looking at the sideline that was the, you know, didn't have the toe touch from Greg Little that was out of bounds in that long third down play that was reviewed and called back. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't, mean to, interrupt you. Oh, yeah. I don't oh. mean to interrupt you, Blake, but, like, think about that sentence. He's throwing to twi- uh, he's throwing to Greg Little, who's been out of football for, like, four years. Like, that was his primary receiver that he was working with. And he didn't with. toe touch the and, foot. And, and he threw a perfect ball, and the guy couldn't drag his foot. Most starting NFL receivers make that play and we're criticizing him on 6 of 13. Like, it's absolutely lunacy. Thank goodness the guys, the, the experts who have watched the tape see that, and the Cardinals hopefully know that we have to put better players around him. But he's throwing to Greg Little. Greg Little is terrible. Yeah, it's just it's this terrible statement because Greg Little, when you realize about where this receiver core is, the fact that it's kind of Bryce Butler at number two, Greg Little's been making a kind of a case for number three. It's just it's not there when you're talking about what the game is. That's part of the issue that needs to have to get figured out and changed. And fortunately, this year, it's not about having to go out and win the Super Bowl year for rookie year. This is about recognizing and trusting that process. And some of that is recognizing where Rosen's going to be able to grow and learn from. And the context and stuff does change. The last shot that we got of Rosen, he basically runs kind of scrambles away from a little protection throws a bullet right to JJ Nelson where Nelson was kind of going on the backside Rosen kind of throws him to the side where the cornerback is not uh, a great adjustment by Nelson and he just drops the ball straight up it would have been a first down completion team was moving the ball I believe they ended up going after I don't think they kicked a field goal I believe it was a punt but they were in yeah no I think it was a field goal that they attempted and kicked because they gotten a turnover previously I believe from Benny Ben Wickery and that was where the team – so it was just this opportunity of – if you're going to start talking about, you know, he's only 6 of 13 for so many yards, well, if we want to talk about having to factor in the context of the three drops that go into it for that one, you factor in then also the potential pick six. That really shows you kind of two different things. One is it does show that Rosen is a lot more kind of advanced than the stats would show, and that just fits exactly what we've seen in camp with a lot of just the pluses, the pros you're going to see, part of why we do think he's going to start this year. What it also does show, at least, is that there are enough at least mistakes or growing pains he's still having to process and learn from. And so it does show at least how good Sam Bradford has been in camp where Rosen's like, man, I'm not going to be able to catch him with the way that I'm playing for right now. Now, that all is contingent, of course, on the fact that Sam Bradford's never been healthy. And when it does come into these different games, there's a pass rush on there. He has been much more likely to take those checkdowns. But it is at least kind of a good pro and con of looking at that analysis and a lot of the uh, you know you even talked about some of the expert pro afterwards Charlie Castle went through a whole huge breakdown of everything that Rosen did looking at all of the positives about how he's making the right reads about how he's able to stand tall in the pro- in the pocket just the adjustments a lot of it's just recognizing that you know 
it's the growing pains that we have to go through, I think, as far as for just in regular life, are backed up just with what Josh Rosen's going through, too. He's a rookie. David Johnson went out and, as a rookie, had one of the most productive um, rookie – if not the most productive rookie seasons we've ever had a Cardinals running back or maybe any Cardinals offensive player had, including Larry Fitzgerald. And you're going to be looking at Josh Rosen taking over to be this kind of guy. And David Johnson still said he didn't get it until week eight. So if David Johnson isn't going to get it until week eight, and we're expecting, you know, Josh Rosen to get a lot more complicated and complex of a position up until that point, I think it's time to slow down a little bit of a lot of that. Uh, and then kind of wrapping up some of that. Charlie Castle, he finished where he's – PFF had like their rankings. Rosen was a little bit low and some of that can be kind of subjective. When Cashley looked at it, he said, look, Rosen is basically, yeah, Sam Darnold was probably the best player. He was one. Josh Rosen was right up there at 1A for him. And I would honestly agree looking back at how it was stacked up for that. And I do think that this is a huge test for him coming into week two. Um, let's talk a little bit about what the Saints are the ones he'll be with. He's probably not going to spend a lot of time with Fitz. Probably won't have a lot of time with David Johnson. What do you think? What are kind of the expectations we need to have for Josh Rosen? Are we going to see something maybe a little bit, maybe not similar, a lot more protection probably that'll be the case with the starting center that'll be able to, you know, snap him the ball. And gosh, that, that'll be kind of the biggest thing we'll have to figure out at least with him is because Steve Kime, this is kind of the last game that Steve Kime is potentially going to be absent from the Cardinals for. You'll get at least another shot to see how that offensive line looks with the adjustments. Perhaps you do get a kind time sign or a trade of some sort if you do feel that bad about your backup center. But, John, what do you think we can at least expect in kind of this last game where we have kind of the current Cardinals before we expect Steve time to kind of come back and kind of put his hand back on the team? Yeah, I think there absolutely could be a scenario in which Steve Kime comes in and makes three or four snap changes initially. I mean, he's watching that game like we all are. Uh, from our couch unless you had the you know you were fortunate enough to be at the game live but I think you could come in and, and absolutely shake up this offensive core if they do not play well again uh, and I, I'm talking about maybe getting a third or a fourth receiver that can play right away maybe getting like you mentioned some depth in the offensive line somebody who can be uh, a new swing tackle somebody who can come in and, and have a leadership role on that second team I think Luke Jokel again is not a great player but was a first-round pick who's got a decent pedigree. Somebody like that who's available I think could be a nice – you know, nobody's going to trade away quality offensive line depth. I think that's what people are unreasonable saying, well, let's go get so-and-so for a draft pick. Let's do this. The entire league, it's an ep- epidemic. Nobody has quality offensive line depth out of like mm-hmm. – outside of like three teams, Philadelphia, Dallas. You know, I think that uh, Detroit has a nice offensive line now because they've invested in it, why would they go and want to trade away quality pieces? You're going to see teams shuffle their offensive line because of injuries throughout the season. It's just how it goes. And so when those guys hit the open market, we see the guards, the tackles, the centers, those guys get nabbed up first. Alex Mack getting a huge contract. These guys are premium quality players. And so their backups who used to be starters who have experience, teams are just looking to move those guys. And so I think it's unrealistic. What your best bet is at this point is, number one, you hope that the first team can be productive, nobody gets hurt. Number two is the backups can eventually become mediocre. The John Wessels of the world, those kind of players where we've seen that with Bruce Arians' offensive lines over the past two or three years with Carson Palmer, with Blaine Gabbert, where they were subbing in in and out guys you know, off the street and what have you. And they were at least respectable in the fact that they could hold up a little bit in pass protection. The running game just wasn't there. But I remember that 2006 off, 2016 offensive line, especially late in the season, Cardinals went to Seattle. And I, I, I don't think I can name one player outside of AQ Shipley that started on the offensive line 
and the Cardinals rush. I think David Johnson had over 100 yards and three touchdowns. So a lot of it is just development over the season, consistency. It's a new scheme for all of these players with Mike McCoy, so it's going to take time. But I think it's unrealistic to want to turn around that unit, especially, you know, when you're talking about offensive line depth being at a, you know, a a very – premium teams just want that I think more so than anything outside of quarterback but I think you could see let's see if Bryce Butler is not playing up to their capabilities is not contributing into the third or fourth preseason game I think you could look at him Steve Kimes swinging a trade for maybe a third or fourth receiver we saw Corey Coleman get dealt from the Cleveland Browns for a sack of potatoes former first rounder I think you could see a scenario like that where the Cardinals maybe take a flyer on a guy like they've done in the past at cornerback. I think those are interchangeable. But at the same time, I, I would be surprised if they're able to make a, a, an impact move on the offensive line. I just don't think it's reasonable. Yeah, I know that's where it's as far as impact, you're really looking at trying to just kind of upgrade the depth if it's needed. Um, a lot of times, even when you're talking about the, the training – there's not, there's not offensive line depth across the league. Like, that's his period. The Cardinals are just in the unfortunate position of they're basically starting a bunch of undrafted free agent guys who are there on the line because their draft pictures have not worked out. Cole Toner was cut from the team last year. Dorian Johnson came in. He was a bit of a risky move for that one. The was not able to really even, like, put any type of, you know, bend back at least at all in the run game. Was didn't have the lateral quickness at all, unfortunately. I'm looking at kind of a guy, even this with Evan Bain. Evan Bain is a guy who you would think would be pushing at least for that backup center job. And there's been, like, no talk of him moving there, at least. Even Steve Wilkes, when it was kind of brought up and asked him about that, if he'd be kind of rotating in or getting more time there. He didn't even mention, at least, or bring up with that. So that's where I think there's a lot of the questions that we have is it's going to be kind of a multi-year process that we'll have to go through with the Cardinals. Um, I think I'm at least good and excited to see what Rosen will be able to do with that first team because now you're going to be talking about guys who are going to be less likely to drop these passes. You're going to be looking at, you know, you've got the offensive weapons like the Ricky Seals-Jones is going to be out there. You're going to have a running back who can catch passes out of the backfield and be able to shake a guy and make him miss for that one. A lot of it is just that the, the player, and this is with even with quarterback development, a lot of players still do ultimately depend on the teammates who are around them and that's just what really defines that position is you have more impact than any other player on the rest of the entire uh, probably the entire team but for sure the entire offense Rosen had three passes that he put them exactly where they really needed to be and he had three receivers who one caught the ball out of bounds didn't drag the foot one who dropped the pass and one who just didn't look back for the ball wasn't expecting it and that was basically three I believe a yeah, second down for one of the plays with three third downs right there you're looking at that just changed the course of what the narrative was for that first year um, but yeah, so that, that's where I think we'll have to get into at least moving forward for the team is what we're going to see this week is the Cardinals up against the Saints. And if you look at just the Saints defense um, this week, they're going to get a little bit more playing time. Drew Brees is going to definitely be playing, but you're talking about a one of the kind of premier wide receivers in the NFL in Michael Thomas. You're looking at a solid offensive line from Toronto Armstead with Max Unger traded from Seattle, the first round pick and Ryan Ramzik. Uh, they even, I believe signed Larry Warford. I think this off season. Yeah, um, folks that, that that's, that's, really that's an offensive offense. line. That's a real offensive line. And you're blocking for Mark Ingram, the second, and you're blocking for Alvin Kamara, who maybe was the rookie of the year last year. So you're talking about that, and that's not even getting into the defense of Cam Jordan, of having the last year stand out with their first-round pick. In, um, it's actually even a player the Cardinals were 
probably going to take if he was there at 13 and Marshawn Lattimore. Marcus Williams has been probably like the breakout player for their team. Uh, there's just a loaded team for that one, really trying to make that huge Super Bowl push this year with Drew Brees and kind of the last year. And Ted Gidd Jr. on the top is kind of a speed guy. He kind of seems to have inconsistent years as far as for being able to have an impact. But uh, Johnny, this is going to be a great test to see where this Cardinals litmus test kind of stands up going up against Drew Brees and a lot more of these first team players than they did up against the Chargers last year. Uh, what are kind of some of the expectations that you at least have for this Cardinals team up against the Saints in this next game? Yeah, Brees, I don't think played in the first preseason game. I think if you were able to hold that first uh, team offense of New Orleans to a field goal in one or two possessions, I think that's a win. This is going to be one of the best offenses in the NFL. It was last year. I think they could have should have maybe gone to the Super Bowl, had a fluke kind of Hail Mary completed against them in Minnesota. I think Drew Brees probably would have put up a better fight against Philadelphia on the road. And who knows, we could be talking about them as the defending Super Bowl champions. They are so loaded. And you talked about it, Blake, but they turned it around rather quickly. I mean, they were very similar to the Cardinals, mm-hmm. seven and nine, seven and nine, seven and nine, because of the fact that their draft picks weren't panning out, a middling team. Saw the Cardinals the last couple seasons, 7-8-1, 8-8. Draft classes haven't been there in terms of impact. Then they had the draft class last year with arguably the defensive and offensive rookie of the year. They get their franchise right tackle. They put together just a premier class. The defense started to turn it around. Some of the younger players developed you know, key roles. And then you have Drew Brees, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. That doesn't hurt. But even his you know, attempts were down last year. The run game took you know, center stage. Kamara was fantastic. The Cardinals need a similar type of impact from the next couple draft class to, to kind of elevate themselves to that level. And again, I always use this reference. I heard it. I think Mike Shanahan said this. If you want to be a Super Bowl contender, all you really have to do is put together three solid draft class in a row, Mm -hmm. assuming you've got the quarterback. If you put together three solid draft classes in a row, I mean, Steve Kime essentially did it with 2013, 2014, and then 2015 for, for the, for the most part, he got quality contributors along with key veteran free agents and found a franchise quarterback. And the Cardinals in 2015 were one of, if not the best team in football for, for a matter of time. So I, I say this, The Cardinals could get to where the Saints are quickly, depending on the ascension of Josh Rosen. So I'm excited to see how they stack up right now because they are one of the elite teams in the league. Uh, From an offensive standpoint, um, if, if Rosen, if Bradford can put together a touchdown drive, I think that's a win. I think where you could see this team get exposed, and Andy Benoit of SI tweeted this out this week, got a lot of pushback. I think he's pretty on the money. This team does not have a lot of great depth. They are very thin on the back end of a lot of positions. We've talked about it. They don't have quality receivers outside of Larry Fitzgerald. Christian Kirk's a rookie. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones performed well in three games last year. They have no quality depth at at tight end. We've covered the offensive line. Defensive line's got a lot of question marks. They've got pass rushers, but again, their second-best pass rusher is hurt, and they don't have a quality third pass rusher. Linebackers are injury concerns. We've never found a number two corner opposite Patrick Peterson that can play up to close to his level. Uh, I think the, the deepest position on the team might be safety, and that's kind of an irrelevant position now in the NFL. So don't be surprised. I was, I was happy the Cardinals won that game last week because don't be surprised if the Cardinals' second and third teams kind of get exposed by, by better teams moving forward. And that's not an indictment of the team. I mean, yes, you wish Steve Kime 
were to put together better draft classes, he has to be better. But at the same time, if the Cardinals have a lot of raw talent in their starting groups, but the backups quality is just not there yet. So it could be a transition period. Don't get frustrated. That can be fixed in one or two off seasons, especially on the offensive line, but it's not up to, you know, it's, I don't think it's up to 500 capabilities right now looking at this team um, because you just got to assume people are going to get hurt. That's the NFL. Um, you know, only I think the LA Rams last year were one of the healthier teams last year and they, and they got to the playoffs and you could see why, but a lot of other teams deal with injuries. Most teams deal with injuries. Uh, the Cardinals are no exception. So that's why I think their ceiling is rather limited this year. Yeah, that's where it's a lot of it's the growing at the building year for that. And I, I think you even hit the nail on the head, at least as far as for like when it talks about getting exposed, um, that's a huge fact as far as for being able to determine what you're looking at this year is 2018 is not maybe it's about pushing for the playoffs as best you can as long as that roster and team is healthy because you can probably make a playoff push to be able to go for like this as an eight or nine win team at least if Sam Bradford's going to be healthy and you see David Johnson be healthy and with that offensive line. If you don't, you're really going to be kind of looking at gauging who's going to be the guys who are here, who are the guys who are going to be kind of off this roster next year when you've got like about 70 million in cap space and uh, one of the guys I think you, you hit the nail on the head of having three solid drafts in a row and then being able to kind of get to that Super Bowl level Ryan Riddle's a guy who's uh, one of the NFL analysts I think he's a former he's a former player I believe as well and his entire theory revolves around that the way to win in the NFL is you have to have a modicum of talent that is not being paid as such and so in 2015 you had those strong draft classes all on rookie contracts you had veteran players that you brought in, like Dwight Freeney off the street. You brought in, you know, a guy, I believe, as far as, like, you know, with the um, uh, having Rashad Johnson at least being on a relatively good deal. He led the team in interceptions that year. That's kind of what you're looking for. And you're in that opportune time now with having a rookie quarterback contract to be able to get that done. Speaking of the rookie quarterback, we had some kind of waves that were done this week. Uh, SI's Robert Klemko went and visited the Arizona Cardinals training camp, and he kind of even tied back to some earlier things that Albert Bird said pre-draft that tied into questions about Josh Rosen's personality. Now, kind of quoting, he said, strange thing about watching Rosen and Knopf side by side. This is the fourth string quarterback, obviously. When he faltered, he was reserved, attentive, and moved on to the next play. And Rosen tossed up a bad ball, failed in a third down situation. He was upset, took swings at nothing with a cleated foot and looked miserable. So he said, you know, maybe you should take that anonymous stuff with a grain of salt, but one can see here in training camp why there were concerns. So what's interesting about, and this is kind of something a lot of Cardinals people pointed back out about, whereas, you know, this is a guy who's coming into Cardinals camp on the outside, hasn't met, hasn't talked to Rosen at all, just as seeing from the outside perspective. And from us knowing, we've talked about how Josh Rosen, he's a perfectionist at the quarterback position, and it really rattles him as far as for that one. So what you're seeing is a guy who is caring so much about football, at least in this situation. Maybe he doesn't have as much of the composure, so much of that. That's the type of passion that we've seen in guys like on the sideline, like the Brady's, the Rivers, other stuff. Now, to compare that quote in context from a guy visiting one day of the week in the camp, off to the side, doesn't know or have any of the context to the guy who's with him every single day has gotten to interact with him and know him in Larry Fitzgerald, who was overheard saying on NFL network to Steve Wilkes, Hey, we got a good one coach. He's smart and not an arrogant smart. And further on goes and even quotes and says um, with he's watching him through praying camp. He's got a wealth of talent. He's got an unbelievable skills that makes the throws picks up on things. Well, and most of all communicates real well with his teammates. So you've got this entire picture of this national perspective. That's still kind of, pushing down and just kind of dumping on Josh Rosen as this kind of spoiled, entitled, rich kid who 
is, you know, kind of be whining and complaining all the time, whereas what you wanted kind of to see out of your quarterbacks. John, what is up with all this? Is this something where we should be taking these concerns kind of with this grain of salt looking in, or is this just kind of blowing these things so far out of proportion? People want to create their own narrative. People want to jump on the bandwagon. I think you hit the nail on the head. It was a reporter who came one day. Rosen had a, an average practice, but then you read reports on the Cardinal website that he made a couple of really nice throws that day. He had one poor red zone period of practice where he got frustrated with receivers. And I put a tweet out there. You mean to tell me he got frustrated with a bunch of receivers that are inexperienced, that are below average with an offensive line that's inconsistent? He sh- he's, of course he's going to get frustrated. What did we just see from Aaron Rodgers, the greatest quarterback, you know, in my opinion, in the NFL – come out and rip his receivers for having a, a, a below-average uh, practice to the point where it got national attention, I, I think that's great. I think that's what your quarterback should do. That's leadership. Um, that's not, you know, publicly – you know, he didn't name anybody individually. He just said, we have to be better. I think Josh Rosen is eventually going to take that persona and, you know, the comparisons were Aaron Rodgers. A little bit cynical, uh, a little bit passive-aggressive. Not Jay Cutler passive-aggressive, but at the same time – needs to get his point across and may be hard for some guys who aren't up at his level of, of intellect to, to relate with, but that's how the great ones operate. You know, who's really nice, Andrew Luck. What did Andrew Luck get when being super nice with about his team's personnel talking up, you know, all of the draft busts that Ryan Gritson were, were to, you know, acquire every game after every loss that they had, he put everything on himself and that's great to a point, but at the same time, you know, you never saw him getting after guys, getting in guys' faces. I remember watching Peyton Manning, and he and Jeff Saturday used to, like, physically or verbally go after each other on the sideline. I mean, you have to have that. Brady does it the same way with, with I think, um, Edelman a couple years ago or last year. We saw some viral video go out, those two going at it. Him and McDaniels would go at it. I mean, that's, that's football, okay? And so he had a practice where he was frustrated with the receivers – I don't think that surprises anybody that follows this team. Larry Fitzgerald did not practice that day. With When you talk about the lack of quality depth at the receiver position, Rosen, to me, is superior at his position than all of those players are right now. He's better than J.J. Nelson at his position. Chad Williams, obviously. Christian Kirk is a rookie. Huge learning curve. So, again, he is going to be fine. I think that he is going to hopefully use this as motivation. I don't think he needs any more motivation. All I, all I care about is what's going on inside that room. Bob McManaman has been on the record, has said uh, Arizona Republic uh, reporter who's doing a great job now on the beat for the Cardinals getting great insight, came out and said his teammates love him. He's an infectious guy. They want to play hard for him. That's all that matters. It doesn't, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And once he performs well and earns that respect of the players, that's, that's going to carry him through over and over. Now, if he doesn't play well and things aren't going well, then, yes, you could see that start to trickle out. But this is a production league, a performance league, um, and you get paid to play on Sunday and perform at a high level. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, the, I think the first camp of, of first practice of the year had like four interceptions at his first camp, camp practice this year. It doesn't mean anything. 
Yeah, well, definitely. And, they, and some of that, even I know Rogers even said, like he tries and does other stuff at practice to not get bored just because, you know, he has to try to do different things and create new game scenarios. What's also interesting is the way that uh, Rosen's been responding right now. He's kind of recognized that he hasn't earned it and he's kind of going through the steps and isn't bad mouthing his teammates. Like even look at Josh Rosen said nothing about the snaps that was there. He just said, you know, that's something I have to basically make sure that I can adjust to. I didn't think it was that much of a problem. Immediately afterwards, Steve Wilkes said, Josh, it throws off his, <laughs> it throws off his, you know, his focus. It throws off his ability to be, even make the pre-snap reads because he has to look down for the ball to pick it up and then go back up. And the coverage may have even totally shifted at that point. The timing is off. So Rosen's doing and saying all the right things. And what's interesting is that that's so counter to what his pre-draft take was. And I think that's the fire that he's had was, it may have been honestly one of the best things that's ever happened to him was by him not going number one, not having everyone kind of talk about by kind of having that me against the world type of mentality. We know that it worked very very well for Aaron Rodgers and worked very well for one Tom Brady out there. I don't know if we're going to be able to see Rosen get to that level as far as that, because, you know, that's one, maybe one of 1% of a million guys who are there, but each of the different areas, as far as Rosen seems to be adjusting and knowing exactly what is needed. And as far as his personality, you, you can even just go and Google search online for Rosen's time at um, St. John Bosco high school. If you have any kind of questions about the entitlement for that, he had um, just the fact that he, you know, I think we mentioned this a little bit with pre-draft, but raising that $1,500, for each of the different players just through you know we spent the whole summer before we senior year working scheduling appointments with businesses to just say hey we're going to create this discount card we'll earn this football team money we'll pay for this fifteen hundred dollars that every single player can go on this trip and he basically raised the entire amount for all of his players to go to hawaii not one of the players found out that they had the money to be able to go on the trip because he didn't tell anyone about it. He just went out and did this on his own thing. He understood what was necessary to be able to lead. And I think that's been part of what we're going to see, at least from over here moving forward, is that type of silent leadership where you're not going to be able to hear, you know, whether it's on, if it's, um, whether it's on whether the radio, whether it's on the Coward Show or other stuff where people are talking about stuff like that, whether there is someone who tries to basically, you know, we're not going to hear that type of bombastic leadership. It's going to be more of that quiet, like, type of leadership where I'm not going to bash my center here. I'm going to go after practice, talk to be like, hey, man, like, we need to work on this. Let's work on getting some of the snap count together because that's what's going to be what I think will drive him through and be able to lead for that, uh, especially as he kind of takes over as the quarterback of the future. Hopefully we'll get a little bit of a glimpse of what that might look like of the quarterback of the kind of present of the QB2 with the ones uh, this upcoming Friday. Uh, coming back, we got one last small segment on the Bird Gang Blitz. We'll be talking at least a little bit about just the players we've seen who are the most important to the Arizona Cardinals success this season. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the national love we've gotten. A lot of teams are, a lot of people have been predicting the Cardinals with a 4-12, and 5-11 record. These are people who haven't. They're a bit higher on the Cardinals than everyone else. We'll talk about that as we close up with the Bird Gang Blitz. All right, John, coming back. Hey, uh, we're going to go ahead and kind of wrap it up pretty quick here on the Bird Gang Blitz, at least to be able to get out. We've got a preseason game coming up. Uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday night. We're two days out. Let's just talk about and kind of name some three players that are kind of – we can't really go down due to injury. Um, we've got one question, at least from our mailbag, that we kind of have this week. We'll be able to go over – and uh, then we'll kind of wrap up just with going over just some of the national love that the Cardinals have been getting is don't sleep on this team. They may be a little bit underrated. So, John, first let's start. We've kind of broken down. There's a lot of players the Cardinals really can't have go down due to injury. You know, you can talk about a Larry Fitzgerald, a David Johnson, some of the obvious ones. Who are three players that if you had to pick who are maybe not as obvious up front who can't go down due to injury because it would just wreck the team for that one? Who would be the guys that you would go over? 
Uh, DJ Humphreys. I think DJ Humphreys has to be in that list. I think he's looked good so far in camp. He's one of the leaders on offense. He's taken a leadership role uh, and has looked good in years prior and has gone down to injury. So he is somebody the Cardinals need, especially when you're talking about uh, subbing in a franchise quarterback like Josh Rosen. You need to have that protection. He is probably number one. Number two, I would go with maybe a Buda Baker, the versatility defensively that he brings from the safety position, slot corner, the elevation we saw from year one to year two. Now somebody we think is going to be to be able to play at a pro bowl level, play a little bit of that Tyron role that has made this team so successful in the past. I think he would be a devastating loss. And then I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to say Chandler Jones. I know that's obvious, but you know, mm-hmm. 17 and a half mm-hmm. sacks last year, so productive. You're only really kind of quality known commodity on the defensive line. Now, if you were to lose him uh, with Marcus Golden coming back from that ACL, you would just be in a world of hurt defensively. So those are the three I'm going to go with. But I think really, if you ask me to pick one guy from that group, you know, Humphreys to me, he just he cannot, again, miss time because the Cardinals don't know what they have in him. They think he's a good player. But again, I don't think he's even played a half a season yet up until this point. So they need to see what I think a lot of us know he can be is a consistent quality left tackle that can play for this team, for Josh Rosen, because he was a baby when the Cardinals drafted him. I think he was like 20, 21 years old. So he's still relatively was, young. Was he 20? Like yeah, he was, 20, he, was, so he was like 20 years old. He had never been in a three-point stance before. So, again, they redshirted him essentially. He's looked good in spurts. He's got to stay healthy. He's changed his body a little bit. But I, he is such a big factor because, again, they have nobody else at the tackle position that can man that for this team. Nobody's available. You know, at least defensively, you've got Marcus Golden, who had 13 and a half sacks two years ago. Maybe could give you a little bit of what Chandler Jones gives you. Nobody compares to what DJ Humphreys can do for this offensive line. Yeah, I would agree with all of those. I think uh, especially with Chandler Jones because you don't really have a Marcus Golden standing up there behind him. I think that makes him super important. Uh, you know, Patrick Peterson would be an obvious one. The one I would probably lean toward if I had to pick one would just basically be like if I had to say right now, I would pick Mike Upati because right now if you're going to talk about moving a John Wetzel into that left guard spot or Evan Bain has been kind of the backup at – you know, since John Wetzel has been a fight tackle, you really don't have another guy who could be kind of that road grader to kind of push and get things done. If he goes out again like, this, like he did last year, it's going to be very difficult for the Cardinals to be able to have that run game up front just because you're not going to be able to replace that running impact, at least being able to run through Humphreys, and then also having that extra impact for that rookie in Mason Cole. It would just make things a lot more difficult, I think, over having your potty and pew on those sides would be super helpful. Um, the other person who I would have at least overall would be Dale Buchanan. Um, he's the guy calling the defense now. You could get that from some Josh Bynes, but Buchanan's really the one who's the impact player here. He's the guy who I think is really huge. And then last one, I think there's no going to be no argument for either of us. It's not going to be Sam Bradford, even though I think that he's the guy I wouldn't want to have go down I'd prefer that you know it's going to be a case that they would kind of gradually give the job to Rosen or if Bradford goes and plays strong enough the Cardinals are in playoff contention you want that but it's Josh Rosen himself if he goes down or gets hurt you're going to be looking at basically a lost season before he even begins with his NFL career even Deshaun Watson was able to you know get some production get for that you don't want to see Josh Rosen get hurt at all especially in one of these preseason games and that's part of why having that first team offensive line is going to be so important with him uh, your thoughts at least on that as far as with Rosen yeah, I I gave our our listeners a break. Me gushing on Rosen and didn't get didn't give that obvious pub there. But yeah, well he is he is far and away number one for me because like you just mentioned, Blake, 
you have to know what you have in Rosen. You can't go into next year with him being a complete non-factor this year. I know that, you know, you can take mental reps on the sideline. You can follow Bradford around all year and learn how to be a professional. I think Rosen is at that point now. I think he's so intellectually superior than a lot of these rookie quarterbacks that we've seen. He's mature. He's Mm -hmm. ready. Uh, He gave an answer this week regarding, you know, what statistics or what he deems a successful quarterback. And I think the reporter is looking for him to say something to the effect of stats or QB wins. He went into this uh, very deep and intellectually thoughtful answer for this reporter. And it's just like, how old is this kid? And where has he been? This 21. What was I doing when I was 21? That's right. I don't, I don't want to mention what I was doing. So the Cardinals are so fortunate to have him in the fold. He just needs to play. He needs to play. He needs to be protected, but he needs to play for the Cardinals. You could go in the next season. If Rosen plays well, I don't want to get people's hopes up. Look what Philadelphia did. Uh, Wentz played um, all season last year. And I'm not comparing Rosen to Wentz uh, from a physical standpoint, but clearly much more uh, established on the Mental collegiate standpoint. level. Mm-hmm. And, and I would agree with that. You know, Wentz has physical attributes that, the, that just Rosen doesn't possess. And I think the Eagles roster was superior year one. But they were uh, essentially a, a 500 team with him had a couple nice moves in the offseason and were far and away one of the best rosters and one of the best teams in the NFL. I mean, they were blowing people out week in and week out. And it was because Wentz, they saw the potential in Wentz, they shipped Sam Bradford out of town, and they said, okay, we believe in this guy. We think he can be successful. We're going to start him year one, and look what happened. I think the same thing to, to a lesser effect can, can happen with the Cardinals, but you have to play him year one so you can go into year two and say, okay, we know what we need. We got to load up in the offensive line. We got to get a couple more receivers. We got to get a backup tight end. We got to, you know, fortify our pass rush. Maybe get a number two corner. You have all this money, Blake. You mentioned seventy million. Mm-hmm. This team can make a run next year with Josh Rosen. If he has a good rookie season, everybody will be picking this team next year. There's no doubts. Don't be frustrated by preseason predictions of four and four and twelve, five and eleven. If Rosen plays well. This team's got to have. This team has a ton of money. Say what you want about Kime. People trust Kime as an evaluator, especially in free agency. It's worked out. So we've seen what he can do. We've seen the trades that he made. Chandler Jones trade is arguably the greatest in franchise history. He traded for Carson Palmer. Once he's got the quarterback settled, that's where the fun begins. But he's got to play. Yeah, I totally agree. And even comparing to Carson Wentz, part of the reason why they felt comfortable to trade Sam Bradford was, one, how Wentz had developed, but also because they were offered a first-round pick for him because the Vikings saw Teddy Bridgewater go down. If someone's offering me a first-round pick for Sam Bradford right now, I mean, the Cardinals would be taking that deal, and that's part of the reason why they were able to have some of that success in the following season with two firsts on their roster, I think, as well. Uh, But it's going to be at least fun to be able to watch and see because I do agree with you. He will be seeing some time playing this season. Uh, let's get into our one of the we got one question at least for our mailbag this week, which is looking at this from um, at teaching agent Jeff. Uh, wanted to ask about the nuances and differences in this coaching staff versus the area increasing, not just the head coach, but from offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, having the holdover like Leftwich. There's also another holdover we had with Kevin Garver, one of Larry Fitzgerald's favorite guys at wide at the uh, receiver spot. And uh, Larry Foote at linebackers, he also has stayed on the former player, um, basically picked up as a coach, decided he preferred that over playing. 
not kind of a surprise when you think about he might have to suit there. up at some point by the way <laughs> oh yeah well let's hope not i know well Al, between him and al holcomb who was also the uh he was i believe a linebacker previously he was the linebackers coach for the panthers even in that nfc game against the cardinals that year he was their linebackers coach yeah crazy story with him spending so much time away from his family just kind of having to fly back and forth on the weekends or after the weekend was done but um just from what the overall sense that I think I have from the team is there's been a very huge difference because the attention to detail and special teams has been the hugest difference I've seen in camp. It's like every other time they're going to a special teams drill, but there's much more of a focus. You have an active head coach with um, you know, Steve Wilkes running back and forth. He keeps himself in great shape. Uh, you know, he's, you mentioned he was 48 or so. He's running around there with a 30-year-old, which is fun. Uh, you see kind of like a Larry Fitzgerald and Mike McCoy have been an interesting relationship. You think of a former NFL head coach. You don't think of that being kind of the guy that Fitzgerald would reach out and kind of tackle as far as for like, you know, he did that before with the Wolf Lee with Antoine Bethea this year. But it shows that Mike McCoy is in a very comfortable spot with the Cardinals. There's a little bit less pressure on him just because of not having to have that head coach role and not having to worry as much about being fired because he's with a guy in Steve Wilkes. He's got a young quarterback in the future who he knows fits not just his scheme, but a guy who could, you know, he can do a lot of fun and creative stuff with. It feels like there's kind of a level of not just having that comfort, but also knowing that they've done it before. The Cardinals didn't seem to have issues when they were running through the offense last night with some of the decision-making, the clock management. Um, they're able to kind of drive, I believe, down the field, uh, I believe get a, uh, a last-minute kind of score, at least in the fourth, and then being able to have that fourth down stand, at least. Um, I think that the biggest change that you're going to see, at least from this year, is going to be how Byron left, which is going to be really highly talked up as far as an offensive head, uh, coaching candidate after this season is done. Or offensive coordinator, excuse me. Just because of the work that he is, how smart he is, and he's a, such a young guy. He was younger last year than Carson Palmer was as a starting quarterback, so he's got a long, bright future ahead of him. I think that he's the biggest guy as far as for that you could potentially lose but this is a very solid staff that Steve Wilkes has assembled um, the biggest thing I ended up looking up when I was doing some research for the question was I did not realize that Al Holcomb was actually considered for the Buffalo Bills defensive job from Sean McDermott last year um, he was never denied for the position at least but they decided to go with a different defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes then kind of ends up getting the guy a year later that he would have wanted then in Al Holcomb uh, it's just very interesting to be able to see how there's a lot of Panthers connections it's very physical Bruce Arians called it Camp Cupcake because he felt like you couldn't be physical with the rules. Steve Wilkes seemed to say, no, no, let's press on through that, have ourselves a physical camp. Um, John, uh, do you have any uh, other thoughts, at least from what you've kind of seen from the coaching staff so far? Because for me, it's been very positive overall, especially the way that the players have talked about it. Not that they've said anything bad about Bruce Arians, but you can kind of get the feeling with the defensive talk. They were kind of a little bit fed up with, with James Betcher, and you kind of had a little bit of some of the rumblings about um, – with their uh, Amos Jones as their special teams coach that he wasn't, re he didn't really have the biggest fan in Phil Dawson overall. Yeah. We can say a, a thousand great things about Bruce Arians and what he did for this franchise and they would be, uh, you know, warranted. But at the same time, he was too um, loyal to a lot of his coaches. I mean, Amos Jones should have been fired two seasons ago and for whatever reason, explicably inexplicably kept his job and I think that that was a big weakness of Arians to not pull the trigger and, and make changes. It could have paid dividends in 2016 and maybe 2015, but, you know, that's in the past now. I think Wilkes, like you said, has, has ran a physical camp, but it's been like a smart camp. They're not making, you know, they're not fighting in the camp. They're not making stupid decisions, unnecessary injuries, that kind of thing. Uh, the attention to detail on special teams, I think, is going to be huge for this team, especially when you're when you're potentially starting a rookie quarterback. You're going to need to rely on your special teams as far as field position goes. Uh, offensively, we've talked about it uh, kind of at nausea. Mike McCoy is going to be more conservative than Bruce Arians. So unless Josh Rosen just kind of lets it rip on his own, 
phone and audibles out of a lot of coverages, which he could very well do. You're going to see a lot of three to five step drops. You're going to see play action. Clearly after, after Saturday night, you're going to see this team commit to the run game. They feel like they've got two road graders at guards and Justin Pugh and Mike Ayupati to, to serve well in that regard, especially Ayupati coming off uh, a disappointing two-year run. So I think the Cardinals are going to try to play ball control. Um, the no risk it, no biscuit type of type of offense is going to be long gone, at least for this year. I know that may disappoint some people. I think they're going to be a very good defensive team, maybe even better uh, than they were under Betcher, which he did a nice job. He also had a lot of talent to work with. I think this team defensively in a year or two is going to be one of the top units in football, assuming that they can get a disruptor at in, uh, interior defensive line, uh, some depth at corner, maybe another linebacker, but Wilkes will have that unit humming. And then it just comes down to, okay, what is Mike McCoy going to be able to do with Josh Rosen? Can they get the offensive line fixed? But like you said, Blake, I think that, Yes, we were a little bit disappointed with the offensive coordinator selection early on in the coaching process. We both love the Wilkes hiring, but McCoy to me is the perfect fit with Josh Rosen and what he wants to do. We've seen McCoy have success when he's had pieces to work with. Obviously, was thought highly enough was the head coach of the San Diego Chargers, went and was fired inexplicably from Denver last season, was kind of the scapegoat because of how poor that quarterback room was. And if you've been following the Denver Broncos this offseason, Paxton Lynch is a, is a complete bust, a complete lost cause. Um, and so that, that's the reason they went out and acquired a veteran. That, that team just had minimal talent offensively. I mean, if you think the Cardinals have poor talent offensively, I mean, look at what Denver had last year outside of maybe Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Below average offensive line, terrible running backs, uh, below average tight end. So – Again, I, I think he's motivated, too. You got two guys in Josh Rosen and Mike McCoy that are motivated to do well. And like you said, Byron Leftwich, I think, is a nice holdover. But I, I think Mike McCoy, I mean, if he if he makes Josh Rosen into a Pro Bowl quarterback, he's going to get some some offensive coordinator considerations or, excuse me, head coaching considerations at some point. He's a guy that's done it before. A team could look at him and say, okay, we've got a young quarterback in place that we like we think Mike McCoy can take him to the next level it's when you don't have that franchise quarterback in place you're like so many have said you're, you're just going to get fired you're not going to be able to keep your job so uh, I like the staff I like what I see uh, I need to see more especially uh, up front of the offensive line have to get that corrected uh, but at the same time I think really from a details attention to detail standpoint not going to be as sloppy as, as some of what Arians would make up for in bravado and big plays some of the minor details kind of slip through the cracks. And when you have a team like the Cardinals that have a small margin for error based on the depth, can't really do that. Yeah, Aaron's is known for developing some of those young quarterbacks. And some question, you know, did he really develop those quarterbacks? Were they great? And a lot of it is in the NFL, it doesn't really matter as long as you get the quarterback and it goes through. But I'd agree with you also on McCoy. Looking back with – when we even, I think, talked about this, we were really pushing and looking at um, – them being able to, um, you know, hire an offensive-minded head coach over a defensive-minded head coach. Uh, and I believe that the guy that we were even looking at was the uh, current Vikings coordinator, the OC. Uh, I believe it's John Mick. Um, oh, uh, John Filippo. that's it. So John Filippo was the guy we were looking at because we were talking about developing, working with young quarterbacks to create an offense. With McCoy, if Rosen's at a certain level where he McCoy is kind of this, you know, advanced kind of like thinking through very much like complex offensive coordinator, Rosen's kind of the perfect match where a guy like a Lamar Jackson, maybe even a Baker Mayfield is not quite up the right match for him. And McCoy's not going to be getting a head coach job next year unless the Cardinals, you know, win the Super Bowl. So you're talking about an offensive coordinator, maybe this is two or three years, something that Rosen has not had 
as far as that type of stability in his career to be able to have with this coach. I think that's a, a great move, and that's been part of the positive and the optimism that the players have had, at least, is that, you know, he's kind of a, can be a bit of a, you know, a bit bossy and can be kind of like not as much of a you're not going to like me kind of guy, but really the players do respect him, whereas a lot of other ones, you can see there's NFL coaches you just have to kind of submit to because you don't like him. They seem to do have something where they don't like all the things about McCoy, but they at least like him enough where you can see how Fitzgerald would go over and tackle him. And McCoy, to his credit, also just kind of laid back and embraced kind of the tackle for that one. It wasn't like he was upset or unexpected it. All right, well, let's wrap it up tonight, at least, just going over the uh, NFL national love that we've seen from some people. Like, we've heard of guys like Peter Schrager, Mina Kimes. Jeff Schwartz, I know, had a uh, an, another take on the uh, the Colin Cowherd show a little while back. Uh, Dave Damashek even had shared today. All of them basically believe the Cardinals are more than a 4-12 and or a 5-11 and team. They think that they've picked the Cardinals as their sleeper team, looking at David Johnson being back. The defense, which I do, honestly, we've talked about this, we think it's going to improve um, with James Betcher being out, where they'll be maybe the zone they'll be playing is not more of a passive zone but they're going to be playing a much more aggressive and physical defense but it's been simplified for a lot of the players where you know Robert Kandichi he's just going to be a three technique won't have to be shifting around you're looking at Buda Baker just being had that roaming safety who then comes in as the next cornerback is this kind of a team that people are underrating is this a team that's there what would be kind of that you would think on that and what would be kind of your win projection for the Arizona Cardinals now that we've gotten to see some of their first team at play in this preseason as we wrap up tonight Fun question. Great question. I think the team is being overlooked to some effect. I think a lot of the reasoning nationally is justified. I think people thought highly of Bruce Arians like you and I do. I think that they looked at that roster, that point differential from last season. There's no reason that team should have been eight and eight, but Bruce Arians elevated that team and, you know, God love them for it. And so we're transitioning now, new court, new coach, a new quarterback. You've got a a GM who's had a tumultuous off season to say the least they, uh, I think people overreact, honestly, to the likes of Honey Badger leaving. Um, don't really know a lot of the marquee names uh, outside of Phoenix, like the Buda Bakers of the world, maybe like a DJ Humphreys, who we think is going to take the next step. Uh, I think from a national perspective, though, a lot of people admit that the Cardinals ace the draft, and we've seen a draft class carry teams to division titles just as soon as uh, New Orleans last year. Um, So I think that, again, I'll go back to the depth of this team. It's not great. Mm -hmm. uh, But at the same time, they've got four or five marquee players, I think, defensively that would be, you know, quality starters throughout the league. Uh, It just comes down to what are they going to get from an offensive standpoint? If it looks like anything like it did Saturday night, I think this team has, you know, eight and eight, nine and seven up kind of upside, staying in the mix, being competitive. It's not so much to me their final record as it is. What is what do the games look like? Are they are they a tough out? I mean, the New York Jets had one of the worst rosters in the NFL last year and were competitive each and every week. And Todd Bowles coached the heck out of that team. That's why a lot of people are high on the Jets right now. Uh, still don't have the talent, but they got the quarterback. Cardinals are kind of in that same boat. A uh, and but I agree with you, Blake. The defense is going to keep games close. I'll go ahead. I'll predict uh, six and ten at this point, just because I'm a little bit concerned of the lack of depth offensively. The receiver position to me is a problem area right now. I was anxious to see a lot of these guys take the next step. Chad Williams of the world, maybe the J.J. Nelsons, Bryce Butler being brought in. None of them have done that, so you're kind of fast-tracking Christian Kirk. That scares me a little bit, and then the, the lack of depth in the offensive line scares me. Um, and so they're going to be growing page for Josh Rosen. He's going to have bad games. I think right now they're going to be a tough competitive 6-10 and 10 with with an opportunity to turn it around next year and make the playoffs. 
Yeah, no, I think I, I'm a little bit more, I think, on some of the positive side, even though seeing the depth, I think it's kind of the, the healthy versus not healthy. Last year in 2017, I felt like the Cardinals were very solidly an 8-8 eight and eight team that I felt that if everyone was there and kind of was, whether it was healthy enough for the most part, if Carson Palmer and David Johnson were playing, the Arians would kind of eke up to about maybe a 10-6 and six record or so. And when they went down, it seemed like, okay, they're probably going to be more of like a six-win team now and up with a top-10 pick. Lo and behold, Arians kind of ekes out those last two games against a bad Giants team and then kind of steals a win against the Seahawks on the road like he was tend to do. And they end up going 8-8. Eight and eight. Uh, I think this year it's similar. I feel like this is a team that probably is, again, an 8-8 eight and eight team. But depending on what happens with Sam Bradford, maybe you could be looking at them as being kind of an 8-8 eight and eight team where you're still looking at a little bit of the playoff contention as far as if you got the guys who are healthy. But if Bradford goes down early, I think you're definitely going to be looking at probably that six-win season because there are going to be growing pains with Josh Rosen. Um, you're going to be looking at a team that's going to win with defense. And maybe some of that is a bit conservative on my part. And if I had to pick, like, my final win total, I'd probably pick an 8-8 eight and eight season, thinking that they could at their highest go about 9. But that would be kind of that 6-9 to nine win range. And I think that's probably about what you can expect, especially also considering they have such a tough schedule the second half of the season. Yeah, I, and I, I wanted just to quickly touch on that, Blake. I don't mean to interrupt you. Look at their schedule in the second half. It is oh, brutal. Yeah. That's no fault of their own. they got to go to Atlanta. they got to go to Green Bay. they got to go to Minnesota. I mean – the, playing in Seattle is going to be tough now with that Bruce Arians. The schedule is just brutal. They got to play the AFC South last year, which was, uh, you know, I know the Titans and the Jaguars made the playoffs. Those were not great teams. So, again, you, you look at the schedule in the second half. Look at the quarterbacks they're facing. It's not to their fault of their own, I think, in, in, in that regard where they were a third-place team last year or second-place – what were they, third-place team last year, and they've got really kind of a first-place schedule. That's, that's just a bad break. Oh, yeah, I know, definitely. So, and I think that, that by that point, we'll have to see when Rosen will be starting uh, as far as for how the team gets off to that start, what it looks like for that. Might be way up changing, and maybe this is more of a playoff team, at least, and Bradford becomes kind of like that Alex Smith who's able to, you know, kind of manage the game, get through, make the passes when they're there. Um, we'll see. A lot of it is just depends. If a couple of the guys like the Condicis, the Seals, Jones, um, even Hassan Reddick, they step up, you might be looking at a more positive season, kind of, and even in the middle of that transition, it's more of like a retool and seeing who are going to be some of those star players heading in you've got some optimism going into 2019 maybe ends up being kind of a rebuilding year and it's a tough one for that one but I still don't think it's going to be as tough as having to you know obviously of having to watch the Blaine Gabbert and Drew Stanton quarterback teams of the defense is having to try to push through that as well so uh, but that's it uh, John let's go ahead and kind of wrap it up for tonight so you can let everyone know where they can find you on Twitter I am at Johnny's Football, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football, and love those questions that you guys are sending in for the show. Blake, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me. Send any questions you want either to at Bird Gang Blitz. Do follow us. We'll be releasing all of our shows there, at least at Blog Talk Radio. Uh, I'm going to be getting looking into a couple other places to be able to add the podcast to just for, you know, uh, ease of use for those of you who use places like Stitcher Radio or SoundCloud. And you can find me at Blake Murphy 7 and on Revenge of the Birds. I'll be another staff writer for them for another year uh, coming up. So you'll be able to follow along for the fantasy articles, Cardinals takes and more stuff coming. Well, thank you guys again so much for joining us again, as always. Uh, on behalf of Johnny and Blake, and we'll see you next time. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. 
Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Pros in the know start with Lowe's. Because at Lowe's, pros save big on the supplies they use most. Right now, save even more on select concrete mix. Now 30% off when you buy in bulk. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. Stop by or visit Lowe'sforpros.com for details. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. Minimum purchase required. Selection varies by location. Credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply. U.S. only. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week, I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.